counting down the last 10 days of Ramadan, ladies and gentlemen, let's make the most of it. Today's podcast will be discussing insights on human nature from the story of Adam in the Quran. Muhammad Sirajuddin, my younger brother, joins me. Uh, he is also the founder of Basmala Beads, great website to check out, especially for the holidays. Get some Eid presents for friends and family, everyone loves them. Uh, handcrafted tasbih beads, as well as bracelets. So go check that out. Descriptions in the show, links in the show. Apply the code RAMADAN20 to get 20% off today. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash coffeewithkareem. Leave us a review on iTunes and thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. So uttering the names or knowing the names is not understood exactly as the gift of language. Interpretation, the fallen station is actually coupled with an elevation. Bismillah. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. Joining me today is Muhammad Sirajuddin, my dear brother, who has been on this show before. We discussed remembering to recall and the importance of um, dhikr and having a dhikr practice in one's life. And today, inshallah, we're going to begin discussing and exploring the meanings and layers of the story of Adam salam, in the Quran. I feel like this is a very important topic, Sidi Muhammad, because it's where it all starts. SubhanAllah. You know, first human being, there's so many psychological, spiritual, existential, moral implications in this story. So what I'd love to do today is unravel that with you. Thank you for giving us your time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Uh, it's my pleasure and honor to be with you, discuss such um such important matters that relate to us today, Muslims and non-Muslims alike. Amin. So, Sidi Muhammad, let's start mm-hmm. the story of Adam and Islam. Now, from my understanding, the it's not like um, there's one chapter or one section that it just takes you A to Z. Um, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, different parts are, are, are in different places, perhaps. Can you explain to us a little bit more about, you know, the story of Adam itself and the chronology uh, and perhaps mm-hmm. why the Quran sometimes is, you know, has this um, non-linear way of expressing itself, perhaps. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'na wa anfa'na bima alimtana wa zidna ilman inna kantan alimul hakim. So the, the Quran is different than other revealed books. Uh, if we take the comparison with the Injil, with the Bible, the Bible is chronological. It starts with the creation story and ends with, uh, with the end of time and uh, and judgment day. So the Quran does not have that uh, quality to it, um, and there's a great wisdom behind that. Um, and to try to you know explain it as succinctly as possible, it's like um, some some uh, literary experts have described the, the, the flow of the Qur'an uh, as not being chronological. It's more like what we call in writing like a stream of consciousness. So a stream of consciousness has uh, doesn't have chronology. It may not look like it has structure to it, but it actually uh, does, of course. So in, one, in, in its appearance, it looks like a stream of consciousness, but in reality, it has... Uh, 
very, very precise uh, structure and one that actually reflects the realities of cosmos, of the cosmos and realities of time and our own self. So that um, and the fact that they're not the fact that it's not in order is actually what stimulates the mind to inquire and to meditate upon uh, that fact. So right. So kind of the the point of it is is well, this is the speech of Allah. So is it proper to say that this is kind of the stream of consciousness of God being expressed through the Quran in its way, in this fashion? Uh, no, it wouldn't be proper to say that um, because we believe, as you said, it, it is the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's the pre-eternal speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So stream of consciousness is uh, is kind of just a way to bring the bring your understanding a little bit closer Got but it. it's not a definition yeah because it would be very far from the, the actual uh reality of the speech of god one one thing that comes up for me is you know when you're listening to the quran or, or, or reciting um like you're saying this instead of it being linear i almost kind of picture it's like you're traveling through space and you know space is like this there's it's not a linear thing anymore once you're out there so if you just see there's like stars coming past you and different you know experiences that's kind of like how the quran is it's like have you heard the story of musa you know have did you create yourselves or anything around you or and then it refer, you know talks to the prophets i said so it's kind of you know it seems like it jumps around but in like a place yeah. like space where there is no points for you to refer to Right, and perhaps right. this is one of the ways that we're understanding that the the Arabic language in the Quran is mirroring this eternal speech, right? Mm-hmm. And in such mm-hmm. a way for us, you know, little you know insect humans to grasp somehow, right? So, so mm-hmm. is that you know another way to maybe visualize this? It's like there's the stream, stars in the in a dark galaxy that you're traveling through. Now it is. Yeah, that's another way of bringing the the understanding a bit closer. Another example is like a landscape that you're traveling through a landscape um, of mountains and trees and pathways and forests, etc. And all of, all of that actually, all of those examples, they they have one common denominator, which is that there is unexpected and jumping around the quality of jumping around or like unexpected um, shifts in the topic, which what which is one of the reasons why a lot of the uh, Orientalists criticized the Quran, they said, you know, that this is not a structured or chronological text. The, but it the, wasn't the, supposed to be a, a storybook from the beginning. It was just something you recite right. and you hear and listen to. Right. And, 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 and that's what it's supposed to do, actually, because it, it actually is designed to design specifically for the human constitution. Right. Because the human it consists of a nefs. And the nef, the nature of the nefs is that it is, you know, it's ephemeral in its attention span. It likes change. It's always trying to run after uh, things that will please it, right? So, and it always, it's always in some some sort of um, chase, you know, for something. So the nefs is almost like, you know, every time I'm, oh, I think if I had the nefs, you know, if I had this thing or if I experienced this thing, then I would be happy. So it's always looking for that happiness. But the, the fault of the nefs is that it doesn't know how to find the, the true happiness. It knows how to find ephemeral happiness. It knows what feels good, right. but it doesn't always know what is good for its own ruh. 
or the ruh generating right. the nafs perhaps. right and and that's so every time you 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 turn a corner you think you found what you what would make you happy you find that it just disappears and then you find yourself chasing another thing another ephemeral thing that you know has you chase you know turn around another corner and then it disappears so you have to find yourself going and actually in a circle it's in a you the, the the human nafs will if you obey it it'll put you in a uh, an infinite circle loop. of hmm. you know, an infinite loop so what the 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 quran it's jumping around is actually one of the ways it it actually um it catches the attention of the nafs right it catches the the, the attention of the nafs because it it appeals to the nafs nature in, mm-hmm. in this, to this capacity. And also the Qur'an is circular in the sense that you, every time you finish the Qur'an, you start again from the beginning. So it has it, the Qur'an is, is supposed to be recited in a loop fashion, meaning that you're always starting and starting the Qur'an. So that, and then you have, of course, like uh, loop uh, circles, or you want to call them loops, uh, in the in, uh, on a smaller scale within the Quran, so the stories repeat themselves, the topics repeat themselves, but in a different, uh, showing a different light. So right. that's part of the structure of the Quran. So when the nafs is attracted or seduced in a sense by listening to the Quran, what that does, the Quran then, because ultimately because it's the kalam, uh, it's the reflection of Allah's kalam, His eternal speech, it imprints. The tawheed, right? So it imprints the oneness in the, that human being. So in the heart of the human being. So it catches the nafs from one side, right? And then it imprints, it catches the nafs from one side by appealing to its multiplicity. And then it imprints the oneness uh, in the heart from the other. So that's one of the miraculous uh, natures, or uh, miraculous aspects of the Qur'an. Subhanallah. No, thank you for explaining that. What came up for me also as you're sharing is like, you know, we love literature and theater and this has always been part of human culture and civilization. And that's not always, you know, linear, linear. Like theater can be very um, sporadic and shifts a lot from scene to scene, quiet to loud to this to that. And it's like doing this to keep that attention, to kind of pull your consciousness in to pay attention, right? And so I can also see how this um, non kind of predictable linear narrative is going to keep, you know, poking at you essentially, right? Just like Mm -hmm. if you go to a good theater performance or you're reading good poetry or literature, it's going to, you know, move you. So the words itself have to be in this movement that is, you know, coming at you from different angles and different perspectives. One is striking your intellect and your heart at the same time. The other is making you have, you know, fear of, of death or a reminder of that, you know, this isn't going to last forever and so on and so forth, right? So there's, it's going to give you this, I want to say, like existential arousal um, in different ways. And of course, Allah knows best what, what's going to get through to us, right? So <laughs> may Allah make us worthy of understanding his book. So we're going to get to the story of Adam and Salam. And mm-hmm. why don't we just start from the top? So the first thing that's really important, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, is that Allah tells us He created Adam salam, and all of us from earth and water, and this is a, like clay, right? And Allah mm-hmm. describes different um, uh, phrases like salsalin kal fakhar. Can you tell mm-hmm. us more about this description? And is it just simply like you know, earth, earth, like all this, you know, you just took a handful of sand and, and dirt and mud from this planet, mixed it with water, and that's pretty much how it goes? Or is there something else going on here? 
Like, was was it really the same earth that we're made of today? As far as I know, Allahu A'lam, the the earth, the the use of the word tlin, um or turab is um, and water, of course. That tlin is a combination of earth and water. There are two uh, understandings for this: that it's either a the earth and water. Uh, that was made ta'ala, uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and not of this earth itself. Um, but its components, its components are such that it, we, you know, as you, as we all experience uh, in our lives that we're, we're all, we're, we're, um, um, we're built, you know, and we eat from everything that comes from this earth. Therefore, it, there is some relationship between this and that. Uh, and the other is that it's actually from the earth, this earth that we 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 live on and we reside on, and the water from this earth that we live on and we reside on, mm. because we know that Adam, alayhis was in a different place before he before the fall. Wallahu mm. taala alam. There is some difference of opinion about that, like whether he was in Jannah, Jannah, or he could have just been in a, you know, Hawaii down here on Earth. Like, is that possible? Because I know some perspectives in the Jewish tradition say that the fall of Adam is basically when he fell out of favor with Allah after he committed the first sin. And that's what Mm -hmm. made him feel this huge distance from Allah. And that's Mm -hmm. where the journey of seeking God began. But he wasn't necessarily in a different realm. He was always Mm -hmm. here on this planet. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's one perspective I've I've heard. I remember learning. It is. It is uh, founded that... uh, that the fall was a, a fall at a, a, a station mm. rather than in place. Um, but as we will talk about the fall, if we even if we consider this uh, interpretation, the fallen station is actually coupled with an elevation that only Adam experienced because he learned tawbah and he then practiced tawbah. So his fall was also an elevation. Uh, as opposed to Iblis, who, when he fell, he did not admit to his mistake and therefore did not make tawbah. And some opinions I've also read considered Iblis to be a, a fallen angel from from the ulama. But then the argument seems stronger that he's a jinn. What have you come across in your knowledge and learning from teachers about that perspective? The understanding, the, the nusus, the texts, starting with the Qur'an, there's seven mentions of the fall, the, the the prostration or the command of prostration. Really, seven, and seven instances in the Quran. Yeah, and only one of them. Oh, sorry. We'll we'll say all of them. The implication is that he is from the angels because Allah says we commanded the angels to prostrate, prostrate, and all of them prostrated except Iblis. So the 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 mafhum wow. or the understanding of the text is that Iblis was from amongst. The angels, but in one of the seven in Surah Al-Kahf, it's clear that there's a textual uh, addition Qualifier. that's yeah. not yeah that's not in the other six, which is that Kana min al jinn. Kana min al jinn. He was from amongst the genies. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala creates Adam alayhi So why don't you walk us through? Um, maybe just a quick, like chronological uh, understanding, and then we can pull apart, you know, the verses as we go through. What we can do is focus on two very interesting versions of the story that are in two separate verses. Okay. 
So Iblis existed before Adam was created. Okay. And he had he had a, a very high rank uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was very close to the angels, such that the angels did not know that he was not an angel. They thought he was an angel just like them. Wow. Uh, because of how, uh, you know, impeccable his uh, worship and his devotion was. He was even given a title, Tawus al-Malaika, means the peacock of the angels. And this is a expression because, you know, Birds, the the peacock amongst the birds is like the most um, majestic, or the majestic, yeah. colorful, and and he was also known to be uh, the fry the, to give Friday sermons um, to the angels. Hmm. So his rank with God was uh, very high. It preceded the existence of Adam, and when Adam was created, um, the angels asked God why he would create a being that would create havoc on earth mm-hmm. when uh, so uh, and this this is because the jinn existed before the the human beings and the jinn were already you know all sort of there was a trial run you can say with the jinn and the jinn you know they it didn't always look pretty basically <laughs> yeah right, right. they wreaked havoc basically right. so they were asking why why would you do this again, basically? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, in the ma la ta'lamun. Right. And this is a really important lesson to accept, you know, the angels accepted this, of course, that they accept that God knows that which they do not. <clears throat> this is also very important for us as humans to accept this is very important because there's a secret in having that belief in God and having that belief that there are there's knowledge that we don't know it's like the first lesson of real Islam and submission and acceptance of your master and creator by default Mm -hmm. because people say that today Muhammad all the time right I don't like this verse of the Quran or this doesn't apply or Sharia is this or you guys are you know we're gonna this verse has to be removed and it's like what about maybe you don't know you don't know anything, right? Allah knows and you don't know. Or it's a right. sign of, of your own ignorance or misunderstanding of something. Just because it doesn't appeal to your nafs or the zeitgeist, political, ideological movements doesn't mean that it should just be thrown out because right now it's not popular you know, to believe right. that or to think that. So this lesson right here with the malaika, who are very powerful creatures, right? Mm-hmm. And they had the ability to ask Allah and be curious and Allah said, I know what you don't know. He didn't sit and, and now explain for four hours, you know, on, on uh, social media, where I, here's why my position. And, you know, it's just like, I know what you don't know. And the angels were like, okay. <laughs> because they recognize yeah, and, who they, who they're, who this, who Allah is and who he actually right, is. Right. And, and he even, yeah, and he, he did even show them in a very, in a very wise and <clears throat> succinct way why. Uh, he did that when he why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did that when he actually created Adam and then he told them he told Adam to utter the names uh, after he challenged the angels to utter the names and they couldn't do it so when they couldn't uh, uh, you know when they didn't satisfy the challenge then they knew directly that there's obviously something here 
that we, we, we didn't expect or something that we don't know. It's outside of our knowledge. Does that mean that the jinn too didn't have the gift of language in the same way that Allah gave it to Adam a.s.? So uttering the names or knowing the names, it's not, it's not understood exactly as the gift of language uh, as much as it is uh, the ability to know the, the potential For capacity to know all things. So the heart the heart of Adam was different than every other intellectual being or rational being amongst the angels or the jinn mm-hmm. that he allocated the heart of uh, of the human being with this special quality. So is the gift of alamhul asma is that correct is basically yeah. the it's the notion of not just oh Adam alayhi had wonderful vocabulary skills no he actually had in, built into him the mechanisms and potentiality for knowledge itself and knowing that which, you know, even was beyond what Adam knew, uh, what Adam would ever do himself, perhaps. Like, for example, the embedded knowledge that, like, today you and I are using these computers and we're, you know, all doing all kinds of things. Humans are manipulating energy and matter and, you know, all kinds of uh, order that Allah has uh, established for us by us studying and analyzing. We're able to almost in a sense, you know, make things ourselves. I don't like to use the word create, but, you know, we make things and manipulate things and construct. So this is all included in Allah taught Adam the names. It's not just he taught him vocab words, right? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And it's echoed in the verse, the first revealed verses to Sayyidina Muhammad alayhi salatu salam. Iqra ismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, iqra wa rabbuka al-akram alladhi allama bil-qalam, he taught man, with the pen. Alam al insana malam yalam. He taught a human, the human, that which he did not know. So, in the implication is with the pen. With this, uh, the pen is a symbol of the active principle of uh, of the asma, of knowledge. Yeah. So, with that active principle, he was able to teach, a man was able to learn things he did not know before. Yeah. So that's echoing that reality. It's echoing that reality. Subhanallah. Of, and using the word qalam specifically with an unlettered prophet, right? Which is interesting. So um, Adam was taught the knowledge. Um, now this happened obviously before, after. So the first thing is that Allah molded Adam with his own two mm-hmm. hands, right? Mm-hmm. Then he blew the spirit into him. And then he taught him the names. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So so can we go through those the significance of those things? So when Allah says, you know, I fashioned Adam with my own two hands, what does that mean exactly? Traditionally, the Salaf, the first generations, they didn't talk about what this means. Hmm. Because uh, these are uh, ayat mutashabihat. Whether they're ayat, they're verses that are not <clears throat> clear cut. They're not clear cut. So Allah SWT tells us <laughs> that in the Qur'an, there are verses that are clear-cut, muhkamat, and others that are not clear-cut. Meaning there's some... Uh, so the word mutashabih means similar to, literally means similar. So uh, the understanding is that if a word like yad is used uh, with respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, that word yad in its in our uh, conventional use, does not befit God. 
because the only way we can uh, imagine uh, a yad is within the bounds of our language, right? Within within the bounds of language. So the yad will always have some kind of definition that's within our language and our experience. And a God is outside of all of that. So to say God has a hand, which is uh, in the way we use it, would, would not be correct. But when Allah says he has a hand, then we must have we must do something either what the Salaf did, which is that we don't speak about it and we just recite it because we believe in these verses and Allah knows what we don't know. Uh, or we, uh, which is what is what we all do today, which is we follow the two schools of uh, of our tradition in in our theology, which is the Aqid al Ashariya or Maturidiya, which practices a uh, technique called Ta'wil, which means to interpret the verses such that uh, we have a meaning. That of this word, of this mutashabih word, that is, a cons- that is consistent with our aqidah framework, with our theological framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only reason why they had to do that in history is because there were so many, there are a lot of doubts in the, the Muslim communities, in the scholastic communities, and they had to uh, protect the theology by introducing um, this method. Uh, but and so therefore we 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 adopt it we adopt it today as uh, our aqidah because uh, we are simply an extension of that and today we also have doubts and we also have ideologies that we have to protect our religion from so we have to also ac- accept these methods of ta'wil in order to keep a sound theological foundation mm-hmm. for for ourselves and others so the word yad here, if we were going to consider the the, the ta'wil position, is <clears throat> that the yad in, in this context uh, can mean different things that relate back to the asma Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like he's the fashioner, mm-hmm. right? Allah al musawwir. And he, uh, so gives the yad form, here... Gives shape. Gives shape, right. So that the yad here is a... Is a word that means a specific uh, name of Allah SWT, al Musawwir. Mm. means that it's a very intimate uh, fashioning by Allah SWT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could say I, I built this podcast with my own hands, but I didn't actually build anything with my hands. It's just about how personal and you know intimate it is for me right i i'll right. you know i just set stuff up online and got some equipment but i didn't actually use my hands hands in a lot of ways right it's more about yeah yeah but but we say these expressions you know to signify that intimacy or that closeness perhaps yeah exactly i mean we, and and we do anyone who denies that there's you know that wheel or met uh metaphors is someone who doesn't use any language because <laughs> expressions like this are very common in any language of course because that's the nature of, of human beings so if you say I, I paid an arm and a leg for <laughs> you know for that car you, know, you didn't you didn't chop off your arm and your leg you know and and then now you have this new car that you're driving so right. you know that's all part of the the within the language 
parameters that we uh, we yes. have in, in every language. Of course, of course. It's absurd to assume that. <laughs> Everything yes. is only literal, right? It's like, of course right. not. Even the Quran yeah. attests to this, as you said, that not everything yeah. is going to be this surface, one-dimensional, literal uh, way of understanding things. So, sure. <laughs> going back to Adam, Yeah. So, Allah created Adam with his own two hands. Then, yeah. he, what's the verse when he says, and then I blew from my spirit into him? Can you tell us yeah. about that verse and, and what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Life. وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِمِ الرُّوحِ فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ This is the conversation between Allah SWT and the, and the angels where he said فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ And then when I fashioned him or when I fashioned him وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِمِ الرُّوحِ And I blew into him from my spirit فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ Then fall in prostration. Hmm. That's the, that's the, uh, the verse. Of the verses. So here again, the mention of the the fashioning is there in the beginning, and then the 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 blowing of the spirit is then second, and then the command to prostrate. So both of those things, both of those, uh, the fashioning and the blowing of the spirit are very um, uh, telling of the station of Adam, or, or one of the reasons why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is commanding the angels to prostrate. Right, so the ruh itself gives Adam السلام, a special uh, position, and the ruh itself is the thing that animates Adam from being mm-hmm. this kind of clay, you know, prototype model. And the ruh comes in, and that's what just makes this creature now fully alive and conscious and woke. Essentially, that's how we mm-hmm. understand the ruh being this this life force essentially that comes in. Correct? Yeah, the ruh is. Yani, the Ruh is a very um, difficult subject to talk about um, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about uh, So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's response to those who asked about the spirit, or He told Sayyidina Muhammad to respond to them in such a way that the the ruh is from the command of god or it's from the matter or affairs of god meaning that it's something that we can't access yeah it's top secret uh, stuff of the company of heaven you, right. it's not for everybody <laughs> yeah it's difficult exactly so it's it's difficult to understand you know we what don't is have clearance it clearance for that yeah <laughs> right <laughs> subhanallah I mean, a lot, the, 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 the knowledge of the ruh may be given to some some people, but uh, the response was very clear when it was asked to the Prophet ﷺ that this is, you know, an affair of Allah SWT. Right. And what's fascinating is the ruh itself is what allows you and me and all humans to have our own amr now. Right? That's where the will comes. So it's like no. that's an amr from Allah that this goes in us. And then that's the very thing that allows you and I to choose, make decisions, and command our own nafs to either go mm-hmm. towards Allah or away. Is that accurate understanding of the Amr? Is that's one of the gifts that we have based on the Ruh? Well, we don't we don't technically have the 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 ability of Amr. Uh, we have the ability of free will. So the irada or free will is different than the Amr. Uh, because the <coughs> the amr here is 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 the command uh, the divine of God command. Yeah. For, for yeah to that 
that brings things into existence out of non-existence. Right. I meant uh, it in the sense of like, it's a, you know, our intellect, our spirit is the, com- it's supposed to be the commander of our body and nefs, right? Like, no, like no. when we have that purified and close to Allah, it's the proper commander of the body right. and the nefs. Hence why we have du'as right. like, oh Allah, you know, save me from myself because we know that your nefs can, you know, pull down on your, in, your faculties of intellect and, and will and choose things that are only going to endarken and spoil uh, that gift in the first place, no, perhaps. No, no. It is, the, the, the ruh does act as the, when the ruh is not enslaved by the nafs, that, or imprisoned by the nafs, then it will act as the, the king or the commander of the rest of your faculties mm-hmm. and your body parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. So take us from there, Sidi. So the ruh is blown in. Then Adam Islam awakens, becomes alive, conscious. Yeah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches him the names or gives him yeah. meaning, right? No, yeah. he teaches him the names and then the angels the time time here is, is is something very difficult to understand because you know the sequence of events there's obviously a sequence but how much time span between each one of these these events is not clear but <clears throat> what we know is that there is a sequence and um, and then after the the soul the spirit was blown into Sayyidina Adam and I said the angels including amongst them iblis were commanded to prostrate to adam you know out from his because of his station because of his station mm. now here is where iblis <laughs> yeah decided not to prostrate he decided not to prostrate now so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him at that point Iblis, you know, he asks him, why have you not prostrated? And there's actually two variations of this question where Allah asks, uh, And another verse, And So there's a, these verses are very interesting because translates to what obstructed you from uh, prostrating? Right, and then literally means what obstructed you from not prostrating. So those, so so a double negative. The double negative would equal equal to what coerced you to prostrate. What coerced you to prostrate, which is opposite to the uh, uh, to the meaning we understand that he actually didn't prostrate. So there's a meaning here that's. Um, uh, there's a meaning of the word mana that Sheikh Sha'rawi discussed in his tafsir uh, that the word mana means has two meanings. One is that it means obstruct or to prevent, which is the one we know, and it has another sense which comes from the use hisnun uh, mani'un, like a a fortress, like a well protected fortress. Um, or it also it can mean capable fortress, right? It's a capable fortress. You can even say that about a man. Rajulun mania means a man who's capable or has ability. So <clears throat> the sense in that sense of the second sense of the word manaka in 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 the one ma manaka alla tasjud would mean what obstructed you? Uh, sorry, what uh, enabled you 
not to prostrate. So here there's two uh, versions that are actually very telling about some subtleties about the state of Iblis. So one is Allah is asking him, what obstructed you from prostrating? And the other is what enabled you not to prostrate? What gave you that capacity? The obstruction there after, after the verse in Surah Sad, Allah asks, Astakbarta am kunta min al-alin? That's the second question he asks. Astakbarta am kunta min al-alin? And hina astakbarta, the, the, the suffix or the letters, alif, sin, ta, yufidu sayrura, which means it, um, it, it has the meaning, it changes the meaning of the word um, arrogant to have you grown arrogant, meaning you weren't originally arrogant. Have you grown arrogant or were you always from the ones who saw yourself as elevated hmm. from the start? So Allah is asking him that question. Did you grow arrogant or did you see yourself from the high or elevated ones from the start? Now, now, so, even if he, even if Iblis saw him, he saw himself high from the start. Does that imply it was his nature, or he also worked his way to that point? He's just kept it secret to himself for all these all this time. I mean, what's the different implications there? If you could help us understand a bit more. So, yeah, Allah's question here is obviously he's not asking out of ignorance because that's not befitting to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but he's asking to explicate. He's asking in a, in a in a way that's a little bit, it's demeaning to Iblis, but it's to show that Allah knows the secrets of his state. Um, so the thing that obstructed him, so we have that he was obstructed from prostrating, we have he's enabled from not prostrating. The obstruction, it's sourced in his, high, in his seeing himself as high from the get-go. So that was ancient, or that was... Something that was with him from the start. What enabled him not to prostrate was the arrogance that that he grew over time. He had, it gave him the boldness not to prostrate. Right. So this tells us that the the intention, the intention, is the source of our uh, states in our actions at a later time. Now. Iblis wasn't arrogant in <laughs> in the beginning, perhaps, but he did see himself as better from the start. Because he was from fire, he already saw himself as better. Now, that being said, he that was sort of secretly there in his heart, and it didn't manifest until later. It didn't manifest until later. So his um, so we don't say that he was predisposed, so to say, to disobey. But it was his, the way he saw himself from the beginning as something that is high or special, that eventually breeded or eventually incubated what later became the arrogance and his ability to disobey God outrightly like he did. Right. And this is really important. I mean, it has some lessons for us as far as doing good and doing evil what are what are some of those lessons the one of them is that we don't that there's no independent reality to evil mm. uh, as it's uh, say more about as, that so we can summarize all of this together in in in, in one uh, sort of list of things so this this part of the story where he didn't prostrate we can get there are several implications that come from it 
One, because Iblis was not from the angels, right? And the angels, We are told the angels do not disobey their Lord when they are commanded. So Iblis was free-willed. So if we were to believe that the angels who are commanded always to do good, and essentially they're like the knights of God, they're the knights of Allah SWT who carry out His commands, and any one of them can, easy, can defect at any given time, then this says that God's administration is unstable. That's one of the implications of it. Another implication is that it puts Satan at par with God. It puts Satan at par with God. Meaning that he's equally powerful and he's equally uh, knowledgeable, etc. And also that uh, evil or disobedience is at the core of our existence, that we're innately seduced to be evil no matter how good we are or how good god makes us that there's some other power outside of god's power that seduces us to evil right again this goes back to satan being at par with god meaning that it's almost like satan is has a kingdom outside of god's kingdom right so this has a lot of psychological implications too if we yeah. were to believe those things. So right. we don't believe we don't believe that that Iblis was an angel. We believe that he was free-willed and we believe that the evil or the disobedience that he practiced at the the, the command of prostration was because his intention was had a hidden disease in it that evolved into the arrogance that enabled him to not prostrate. I, I mean, it's fascinating because I have spoken to some people who, uh, they're not um, of other faiths even. Uh, and <laughs> it's like, you're right. There is kind of, some people have this idea that uh, God didn't make evil and he has nothing to do with evil. That's all the, the devil's kingdom. So it's like, okay, does he have his own world and order that Allah can't mess with? I mean, of course he's still a subject of Allah, but there are people that take it to such a degree and I feel like this happens when you also don't understand the divine uh, holistically. Like if, if God is just love, you're not going to be able to incorporate that he also punishes or, you know, allows people to do evil because that's part of his will, right? Is that we have free right. will. So this is this is a very important concept um, because there are is there are people that really kind of separate. It's almost as if there's two gods or two forces out there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a grave theological blunder. And I, and I would say the biggest evidence of that, besides of course common sense and knowing your aqidah and theology properly, is when Iblis disobeyed Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, he basically challenges God further. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he asks Allah for a favor to be fulfilled, so that he can. You know, proof to him. Proof to him he's wrong. So he's obviously he's obviously lesser than Allah because he's saying, I'm going to send Adam and all his people astray to prove to you that we are better and this is pathetic. And Allah could have, you know, zapped him into oblivion in that moment and said, all right, you know, next, or this is, uh, this is over. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's a Rahman Rahim. He said, I'll give you what you want. You want life till the end of time? You want to try to prove me wrong? Here you go. But you can never mm -hmm. do that except uh, you won't be able to affect 
the ones that follow my guidance and, and remember me often, etc. Right? So, yeah, you, you can tell us that verse and that, that point here to bring it home that Iblis is still a servant and subject of Allah. Yeah, the Iblis himself said, Anzirni ila like, like, which means leave me or watch me until the time that they're uh, resurrected or until the end of time. So Iblis knew that Adam was going to be resurrected and judged because the jinn yes. themselves are going to experience something yes. similar, perhaps. Is that proper? Yeah. Yes. And he said that I will take them all with me to hell, except al-mukhlasin. Illa al-mukhlasin. And this is, the, this is the, exactly the attribute that he wasn't able to achieve. So Iblis himself. is the one who said, I can, I'm going to take most of them to hell, except the sincere ones. This is Iblis's words. Yeah. No. That's Iblis's words. So he knows he can't he can't really do anything to the, the truly sincere ones because the sincere one is the one whose heart will never uh, ultimately fest, they, be affected by such a disease and have it fester to the point where it takes them out of God's rahmah, which is what happened with him. Because uh, that's what a sincere heart is. A sincere heart is a heart that can't contain such um, unbefitting beliefs or or such uh, vile diseases uh, and have them rest inside of the heart. The, the sincere heart is one that actually attracts light on water to come in and stay there and reside inside of the heart. And this is what this is. This is what brings us to the next important topic, which is Tawbah, which is the Tawbah, which is, you know, kind of just to jump to that topic because of the time. Sure. Um, um, since, uh, so to fulfill, Iblis, to fulfill his uh, sort of uh, promise to God, <clears throat> he then more, spends... More like a commitment. Commitment. <laughs> yeah. It's like a commitment, yeah. He wants to prove prove that to him. That uh, <laughs> that Adam is not what he says he is. Is not what God says he is. So <clears throat> he so spends once again, it's next... Iblis saying, "I know better than you." Right. Yeah. There. And 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 that's the opposite of what Allah says that I know what you don't know. Right. So Iblis is now saying that to God. Right. Uh, he's putting himself at par with God, but he is not at par with God. Right. Ultimately, in reality, he is not. And this is this is his delusion. He's not at par with God, but he sees himself as such at that point. But we don't believe that he actually is. Right. So <clears throat> then he goes to delude Adam, and what the way he promised what he promises Adam is, uh, come and eat from this tree. Right. Uh, and um, he says to him, uh, he promises him an eternal life and a kingdom that will never fade away mm -hmm. if he eats from this tree. Now, this is different uh, from Judeo-Christian because there they're eating from the tree of knowledge. Is that correct? Right. In our version, Adam already eternal. has knowledge. So it's about in the our, tree of life. It's a tree of eternity, yeah, and kingdom. Mm. Yeah. In a sense, I mean... There is uh, the part about the knowledge is actually it it does have also negative implications. If you believe that Adam 
doesn't have that knowledge or that Iblis is trying to attract him to the knowledge. That's also part of the seduction of Satan is that he's seducing you to kinds of knowledge that are forbidden and that will make you a master of the universe and a master of the laws of physics and to manipulate uh, the world around you so that it serves you, right? So that's knowledge. That's knowledge. So, um, And it makes that knowledge seem bad or forbidden, but we don't believe that it's inherently bad. We don't believe that having that manipulative knowledge of the universe is actually bad. It can be used for good. Right, so it was almost like in in the Judeo Christian or the Christian tradition when they broke away, and they had their scientific revolution. It was almost something about it seemed anti-Christian in a sense, right? So they couldn't have those two things together moving forward, right? And that's another implication of seeing the knowledge as forbidden. Um, but in in the Quran, it talks about the forbidden, uh, sorry, the the forbidden tree uh, that. If he eats from it, he'll have an eternal life in an unfading kingdom. But then this this is the really important point is that Satan actually asks God, you know, if if Satan is promising Adam these things, why did he have to ask God to leave him until the end of time? Why did he ask for that favor unless he's incapable of fulfilling it himself? You know, فَقَدِ الشَّيْءْ the The one who doesn't have something can't give it. So why is he promising that to Adam? It's a delusion. So it was the first thing that he did with Adam is that he's deceiving him and his method of uh, of seducing Adam was persistence and embellishment. Okay. I have to wrap up in five minutes because of drama. So, I ha- uh, so the embellishment of something that it doesn't actually exist it's actually just in the imagination and this is where iblis does his work he he does his work in by accessing the imagine the faculty of imagination to make things seem real when they're actually not mm. to add to that adam was already in a paradise and he was promised also his there was no um there was no indication that Adam was told his life was going to end, that mm. he was just supposed to be living there eternally. And he had uh, in the Jannah, you know, in the Jannah or the garden, is a virtual kingdom as well. And he was with his wife, uh, Hawa, السلام, she was also part of his kingdom. So <clears throat> this is a very important uh, message too that the man and his wife, which are, we are the offspring of Adam, we also have a virtual Jannah that we're, we're asked or commanded to make with, in our own household. Mm. And that's our kingdom. And Iblis, the first thing he will attack is this uh, institution of, of, of uh, marriage, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the things, his greatest targets. So we learn from this story too, that uh, that the Jannah, you know, that we're in, can be actually uh, a reflection of that can be uh, actualized in the dunya. But one of the, the the guiles of iblis is that he'll try to show you the flaws of your spouse and try to make your life and your marriage life look 
much worse than it actually is so that he can take you out of that garden you know and and bring you to something else and then once you're actually there you realize well, what what just happened how, yeah. how, how how could i have done that right so i speak to guys all the time who who make such mistakes subhanallah mm-hmm. yeah that's iblis that's iblis yeah. So, so the tawbah eventually, when Adam, I he did. We Allah says says that he forgot, and then he ate from the tree, and then he fell. <laughs> he fell. But then Adam, as opposed to Iblis, Adam says, "Rabbana God, oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and show mercy." will be from the, the, the losing uh, ones. So he immediately admitted, number one, to his mistake. And then he, he, he went back to God, which is the act of tawbah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. So he taught Adam how to make tawbah. And there's a one-to-one correspondence between tawbah and what we call kulfa or accountability. So Adam had the accountability to to admit that he made that mistake and then to go to Allah and ask for, for his forgiveness so he can get back on track. So this is, again, this this uh, the accountability is what makes us really uh, the sons of Adam because Allah gave us the trust right. to represent him on the earth. So that, that trust has to have a being that has that accountability. And... The Sharia, for example, the Sharia doesn't apply. You know, the the rules of the Sharia doesn't the sacred law don't, don't apply to someone who is not accountable, who doesn't have accountability, whether they're a child uh, or, or child men- or, mentally or, or, or mentally incapable. Not, yeah. Right, right. Uh, Muhammad, so, um, if yeah. you want, okay, we can just make this like part one. We can continue on Sunday or, or something too. So I know you have to go. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll just continue where we left off. Mashi. Okay. Uh, he is also the founder of Besmala Beads, great website to check out, especially for the holidays. Get some Eid presents for friends and family. Everyone loves them. Uh, handcrafted tasbih beads, as well as bracelets. So go check that out. Descriptions in the show, links in the show. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Leave us a review on iTunes. And thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. 